Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very fortunate today to be joined by Tim, who is the founder and CEO of Ucahu. Tim, how are you? Hi, Alex. Uh, yeah, really good, thank you. Great to be here. Good, good, good. And you're joining us from the lab, I would appear, those very distinctive lights we can usually give to the game away. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that and the Lloyd's Lab, we're part of the current cohort. Um, it's really exciting. Um, enjoying the experience, what we're two and a half weeks in. Awesome. Awesome. Well, look, thanks in the middle of that for finding the time to talk to us. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, but before we uh, dive in, well, firstly, I want to uh, clarify to anyone that doesn't know, we're probably obviously talking about the, yeah, the Lloyd's Lab. Um, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll dive into that later, certainly. But Tim, before we get kind of carried away with ourselves, really wonderful if you could introduce them the Yukahu business and you know what it is specifically you guys do sure yeah so Yukahu is uh, an MJ and we specialize in uh, parametric insurance for weather and climate risk um, with a view to making individuals who are potentially underinsured or uninsured uh, more resilient to extreme weather events amazing um uh, got to ask about the name though, because I was saying just before we hit record, it was, it's given me slight anxiety about pronunciation. Um, where's it come from? What's the what's what's the sort of genesis? We love we love the sort of founding name stories on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, it was one of the first things I came up with when I when I left my old job and I was like, right, I'm going to do this this thing that makes people you know uh, more resilient to hurricanes, mm-hmm. um, it, and specifically starting in the Caribbean. Uh, so. Mm-hmm. The nearest equivalent is is Zeus, but in like uh, Caribbean mythology. So they have this kind of yin and yang mm-hmm. origin story, and um, Yakahu sat on the mountain in Puerto Rico and protected the people from hurricanes. Nice, that's very wholesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, I mean, we like to talk about insurance as a social good, um, but um, I think I think something as direct as that is a is, is quite a nice way of looking at it um and and look we're a big fan of parametrics and we're a big fan of uh you know talking about social good of insurance um on here um so yeah excited to have you on and, and, and thanks once again so i want to talk about how, how you got to here um you know and, and kind of how far along in, in the journey you are um your background in, is in broking uh i understand yeah yeah, yeah. So I spent about uh, just under 10 years in, in and around the Lloyd's market, um, working for Sunlight at what is now Anwins, and latterly at a more independent called Maritime Risk Solutions, um, and started off in the uh, facultative property market, um, particularly when I was at CHP, as it was back then. Um, and that sort of role really centered on the Caribbean and that portfolio at the time. And then when I moved to Meridian, it became a broader remit both in terms of geographies and um, product lines. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's yeah, that's my background. Um, and I was, because of the Caribbean connection, I traveled to the region uh, in January 2018. So, you know, shortly after Irma and Maria in particular had, had you know, ravaged the region. Mm. I went to the US Virgin Islands of Puerto Rico and, you know, we're at the point where on the placing side of the market, we'd forgotten about you know, the events and other than seeing rate rises but um flying into particularly virtual islands and seeing every roof with the blue top all in everything bent buckled still and and people you know trying to get on with life but with you know significant you know not much insurance money had arrived by that point claims are still being sorted out 
and I didn't really know it at the time, but that was probably the, the start of we need to do something better for, for people after these events. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that where specifically you think that insurance as it is today in the traditional non-parametric world is, is, is really not fit for purpose? Because that seems to be the consistent theme of where we, sadly, where we seem to let people down as an industry, like when they really, really need it in, in these yeah. like large-scale disaster events. Yeah, I think what, what was interesting about talking to people around you know, RVM and Maria was like, we just weren't set up as an industry to, to handle that many claims all at once. Mm. So, you know, I spoke to, you know, there was a shortage of adjusters because they needed to be in three places at once or multiple places at once. And the three storms spoke to them about, you know, why didn't you use technology? Um, you know, they're like, well, we had drones, but we had no process in place to, to use the imagery in any way to, to make assessments or there was no uh, internet connection. So we couldn't upload reports back to the office in Miami or wherever it was, you know, mm -hmm. so sort of a catalog of errors, if you like, um, and then horror stories around, you know, adjusters being let in for say 90 days on a visa to do assessments, not being able to do a formal handover, and therefore properties therefore being re-inspected by the new adjuster who came out to replace them. Yeah, it's just sort of, yeah, we didn't cover ourselves in glory, I think, in terms of the stories I've heard. Mm. Is that, do you think there's something significant in your, um, I'm just trying to think about that experience of, of, of there's a, is there too much of a disconnect, do you think, between what we're doing, particularly in commercial insurance and things like the Lloyd's Market, and then, the sort of boots on the ground and so it's so really the end customer and, and the end consumer um because that gap seems to be where things when things are falling apart yeah I, th I think there is but i think there are movements in the right direction like mm. you obviously were two and a half weeks into the lab Lois lab program but i can tell you the single most impressive presentation we had in our induction week was actually from the, the future at Lloyd's team around claims and what they're trying to do in these events um you know uh so i think there is a will from the market to, to change that and a recognition that it needs to change from a customer service point of view mm -hmm. um it's just simply you know getting on top of it you know make sure you have the technology to do it yeah you know, and, and the process and, and ultimately the policies need to change to enable you to do it so yeah um that you know often people sort of talk about parametric in that property space and will it replace traditional insurance and i think there's yeah, certainly for the foreseeable as a hybrid model, but I think it's um, it's an interesting space to be in. Mm. Yeah, I think I think parametric really just delivers on the promise of insurance as we'd expect it to be. I think as a consumer, I mean, I yeah. I talked about this on the pod a few times. I mean, quite fortunate that one of the few claims I've ever had to make is, you know, was for uh, being burgled in London, and and you know, you have to go through the kind of investigative program process and it makes sense from a client's perspective but really all I was thinking was I'm going to end up getting paid a check and I just need to go out and buy a new laptop and 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 really it was all all it was ever about was closing that that time because I knew what was going to happen <laughs> it's just like when do I get it and when can I move on and that's in a very privileged position where it wasn't it wasn't impacting my life particularly uh, it's just a bit frustrating whereas you know if you're saying I need to rebuild my home um yeah very different situation yeah no exactly and i think that's yeah yeah and it's not like 
in, in those catastrophe situations, it's, it's, you, you can't necessarily go and stay at your friends or your neighbors or your family members because they might be in exactly the same situation as you are. So yeah. it's, it's that community support, you say. Yeah. Not be there. Yeah, completely. So that, if this is like the, this, is, this was the Genesis story, this visit, this yeah. is the kind of inspiration, how long between that and you know, launching the business and, and getting off the ground? Yeah, so I kind of, uh, it was tail end of that year, um, so 2018, that I made the decision I wanted to be uh, in InsureTech somewhere. But at the time I had a six month notice period, so no, no startup was going to wait for me. So I had to sort of rip cord and, and see, see where I ended up. And about halfway through that notice period, uh, sort of the inspiration for what is now Yukaku uh, kind of dropped. And, and so initially, you know, there were a few hypotheses to work through as with any startup, but I sort of took six months, did a bit of consult or contract broking and uh, consulting um, whilst I worked in it, but I went full time on the project uh, in sort of January, 2020. Yeah, great timing with the pandemic and everything that followed, but um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's an exciting journey and I'm really proud of where the business has got to and the, the starts of the things that we are starting to develop. Mm. Do you, um, I'm interested about your experience of how vocal were you about you were going to do this and you were going to move into the short tech world with, with, with some of your kind of former colleagues or, or kind of market contact? Yeah, very vocal. Um, so, you know, it, it was a case for me. I grew up in rural Scotland, uh, you know, moved to London after university, got a job in the market and had a great time. But, but you kind of realised with, you know, uh, even that, the, the point in my life where, where I did this, I was sort of 30, had no kids, no no real commitments, a mortgage to service, but I was like, if I don't do it now, it's never. And, uh, you know, so recognising that window of opportunity, but also that, you know, the career that my bosses have had of potentially carrying a paper file into Lloyd's for 30 years wasn't going to exist, but also wasn't one I wanted. And mm. so... Yeah, it's probably that that realization for me of to, to take more control of my career and, and and actually to to actually pursue what I want to get out of life rather than uh, just sort of bob along, if you like. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, I mean it massively resonates with me. I mean, I um obviously it's something that you know Tim is my business and and it's the it's the recruitment side of what we do. And uh, sadly, the podcast doesn't make enough money yet. We're not Joe Rogan's uh, podcast. <laughs> I don't think as many people as interested in um, InsureTech as a conspiracy theory, sadly. Um, but um, yeah, that I think that resonates so much is is that freedom of it, sort of almost of expression and 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 carving your own path. And it's been really interesting to see that from someone that's in my role. So I've been doing recruitment into the insurance industry for fifteen years, and and you look at how those careers shaped, and they were so formulaic really uh, and, and it was quite difficult to do you know even you know i've been in search meetings where we're looking for a you know senior figure and it's like well we need someone from an underwriting background can someone from broking do it and you think if you look in any other industry that's that's such a kind of you know obvious ability to cross one side of the fence to the other uh, but still having debates about whether that's possible uh, and i throw, I, I feel like some of that has just gone out the window now we just we're looking at people with skill sets and and being a bit more open minded um but what i was interested about was the conversations you had with people that were perhaps not not less supportive but maybe a bit skeptical 
and, wh and whether that has changed now because there's been so much investment in InsureTech and because the journeys more broadly on a macro level has been kind of more uh, popularized um, as opposed to kind of what you, when you did it, which is, is a bit, you know, uh, a few years back now. Yeah, I think like, you know, I, I have to say like my ex-colleagues were actually pretty supportive and I think had the business all gone wrong very quickly, then, you know, there was a, that's, there was actually a little bit of a pump back then, but, mm. um, you know, they're one of the companies that hired me on the consultant side because they needed to make the handbroking and they trusted me to deliver for them. So, um, yeah, I think the one thing I've learned is uh, on this journey is, and I'm sure you'll identify with this, Alex, is like running your own business is far harder than you expect before you try, but also that there is sort of a recognition, and I think particularly in insurance, that uh, where it's so relationship based around the London market that actually there's just a lot of interest and 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 people will broadly be supportive um, mm. and and try and help where they can and I think that's been my experience even sort of uh, I went to the Arab insurance conference in in June and that hasn't happened for a few years because of COVID and things like that but you know walked back in and saw underwriters I hadn't seen for you know since I left the market and mm. every to a man or woman they were you know tell us what you're up to wanting to know how do we help like you know and so i do think there is this you know the great thing about the relationships you build in another market is that you know there's a lot of respect and a lot of people who recognize that they wouldn't take the risks that anyone who tries to do their own thing you know sets out to do and so yeah it's it's i wasn't greeted with much skepticism even if it was early for insurtech um you know yes there have been people who've Acted the initial product or whatever, but I think, um, you know, that's that's part of being an entrepreneur, I suppose. And and so, mm. yeah, you're always going to get knocks, and you have to have a certain amount of both naivety and self belief. And, and yeah. so, um, yeah. yeah, it's it, but broadly, yeah, people recognise that they're trying to do something different and and enable the market to do more. And I think that's that's mm. you know well thought of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're seeing more of those kind of, you know, more profiles of people like yourself, like doing more insurtech focused things. I think certainly, yeah. you know, if we go back uh, four years, it was more kind of technologists coming to the market and taking challenges. And, and now we've got people like yourself who are seeing the opportunities of some of that technology and saying, okay, well, let's, let's kind of do it the other way around and, and take those relationships. Because, um, you know, a lot of what we get paid to do is find insurance knowledge for tech-driven businesses because they don't have it in-house. And so if you start with that, it's a really good basis um uh but <laughs> i think naivety is an important thing to mention if, if i knew <laughs> knew half the things that was going to be as difficult as they are mainly dealing with hmrc um <laughs> then probably probably wouldn't do it um so, so let's talk about the kind of um practicalities of, of the car business that on a, on a very base level how does it work what are your triggers for the parametric um have they changed and evolved over time you know do you work with partners that, that kind of help you deliver that yeah, so so the way we set up is we set out to, to build a, a product for the Caribbean um, as a sort of proof of concept, um, as well as, as trying to solve the problem because uh, it's a market that individually each of the islands has very small populations and therefore they struggle to innovate because there isn't the volume of business um, to, to enable them. Um, what the Lloyd's platform gives you is access to a number of those markets so you can sort of them together and, and, and 
uh, and try and deliver something for those markets. So, um, yeah, what we developed is a is a hardware product that pays. And so when a customer signs up um, or is signed up, uh, they give us a a pin on a, on a map as you would put a pin on Google, um, and that G, that GPS location we monitor for wind speed and when it exceeds hurricane strength, we then pay based on the central pressure of the storm. That's what pay agreed. Um, we yeah we have a partnership with uh, McKenzie Intelligence Services um, to help deliver that so that we have an independent uh, trigger uh, or, or trigger calculation provider, which, uh, but that one that is already trusted by the market because they're, they're using them for exposure management, but it also, you know, in the nature of their work, they're already beginning to work with data providers that what we will want to access in future. So, yeah. um, and then uh, all the distribution tech we've built, all the sort of, uh, policy administration is all ours, and then uh, we have also integrated with the Lloyd's uh, faster claims processing service provider for tests, and so they enable our, our claims payments to um, to the insurance. And so everything's got a smart contract, and and everyone involved in the value chain, including the local broker on Ireland and the end customer, all interact on our platform. Mm -hmm. um, See, yeah, I, I'm interested as well that you you built. A lot of the kind of back-end processing element of it yourself did, did you was that always going to be the case did you did you look up alternatives of kind of buying some of that in yeah so you know, it was uh you know sort of around lockdown one if you spoke to them the yeah. big terms of uh how i was going to execute this business as a as a then sole binder was to you know raise money pay a tech agency to build some tech and and um, and to be honest, thank thank goodness I didn't, <laughs> because we were you know lockdown that one happened. The, the opportunity to raise in that environment was was almost non-existent. But so I had to find a new way to execute. Found my co-founder, uh, Farid, who is fantastic. He comes from a uh, sort of financial trading system background, and so um, there's you know multiple years in in big commercial banks building those algorithmic trading systems, and that is ultimately the architecture of our platform now so um yeah it's all about real-time risk pricing you know real-time portfolios for the insurers which is not something that you know in most binders they don't get that because there's always a reporting lag of border and things like that um but what that does is it's importantly oper you know unlock operational efficiencies across the value chain which and capital efficiency for the insurers which ultimately means you can deliver a cheaper product to your own customers. So um, that's, you know, that's important when you're looking at uh, potential customers that don't have a lot to spend or, or won't spend in traditional markets. So you've got to make it, you know, find ways of getting to them. Mm -hmm. The, um, I'm, I'm struck by, um, What's your before I get ahead of that? Um, what's your um, method of distribution? Uh, are you sort of embracing traditional distribution? Yeah, so yeah, go, I suppose go back to your point about you know this the shift from pure technology people trying to do insurance to, to you know bringing the, the insurance brands. We recognise the fact that brokers bring a lot of value. Yeah, mm -hmm. but what we do is when we work with them is trying to make them you know 
part of the value chain, but in a in a profitable way for them, but where they don't need to take 20 points because by yeah. by automating their part of it, once it's all set up, like they need one person every month to, to take their payments down in accounts or whatever and, and yeah, mm. process stuff. So um the so yeah, we do work with brokers. Um, you know, we recognize they bring decision-making relationships um, and increasingly our focus uh, in like, how do we deliver resilience to people is through the businesses that they um, interact with. So the way we're starting to think about um, systemic resilience from, from climate events is that people, uh, vulnerable or not, but vulnerable communities around the world are all in some way interacting with businesses. So they're either customers, suppliers, or, or employees. Mm-hmm. And how can those, and so society is a bit of a pyramid where you've got people at the bottom, a layer of business, layer of financial institutions, layer of government. Those at the top, the government can, can protect the most. Um, but if you don't get, you know, if you don't support the people at the bottom, the whole pyramid suffers and, and, and falls down. So mm-hmm. how do we as a business enable businesses to, to support their customers, employees, or suppliers after these events affect them and manage the shared risk, if you like, of, of those individuals suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was thinking that when we were talking about kind of, you know, the, the, the sort of new profile of people coming in, yeah. all the sort of businesses now that I speak to, uh, not all, but I think most are, are embracing traditional distribution and, and there's been much more of an acceptance that, you know, the insurance insurance does a good job of, of quite a lot of things um less of the insurance is broken rather wouldn't it be great if we could give new tools and new you know products to, to the digital market um because yeah. you know the nimbleness in in a four-man startup business to create new products that are of value to the end consumer that brokers can distribute or advise that, that might be good to use um you've got that nimbleness to do that um yeah that's, that's actually that's one of our internal KPIs is how quickly can we produce a commercial model and a, an underwriting model for, for a new product. Yeah, then there might be sign-offs for capacity and things like that. But, but you know, how quickly can we produce these things? And that's one of the things we're testing in the lab. Like we want to get what with this product we're developing is, is certainly ready to go, if not live, by December. Yeah, yeah. Exciting. Well, let's talk about the lab then. Yeah, because, uh, yeah. You're sitting there, you're in situ, you're <laughs> two and a half weeks in. Um, what's the experience been like so far? Um, and I think a lot of the time when we're speaking to people about the lab, they're not people from in the insurance world. And yeah. so they're looking to get that on board. Obviously, you've got a lot of insurance knowledge and, and very specific to, the, to the, the, the problem you're trying to solve. So what, what are you looking to get from it? Um, yeah, so, so as a business, like we... You know, the infrastructure we've built and the platform we've built uh, gives us the ability to you know, trigger events globally and, and pay globally. And obviously, the Lloyds, we're a Lloyds cover holder. So, if you know, within our authority, in theory, we can access the Lloyds licenses in, in every jurisdiction they have a license in. Um, so, and what we want to do is, is facilitate new solutions that are. You know, sustainable in that they look, they're looking after people considering the resilience of communities in them. Um, and for us, it's about, you know, yes, developing a particular product in the lab, but also growing our profile with the market because climate risk doesn't 
much, just one silo. But you know, the lowest market is quite siloed between, like, say, property, reinsurance, credit, you know, or, you know, and actually climate touches multiple, you know, many of those silos. And so it's really important that, you know, both the broking side of the market and the capacity side of the market understand what we're about, you know, what we can do, what we won't do, um, where we have most value. Um, so overall, the, the you know, two and a half weeks in, the Lights Lab has been a really great experience to have. You know, the group of mentors we've got have been you know, incredibly engaging, um, really helpful. We've got uh, people from broken side, capacity side, and, and a bit of risk modeling help as well, um, which uh, is great. Like we, we, we're, yeah, end of our plan at the present. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's and fundamentally like, yes, I have relationships in the market, but they're not necessarily the right people for innovation. And there's an element of, of you know, cementing new relationships as well. Mm. Yeah, I, I, and it's that, I suppose it's always that classic, um, as you were saying that, I think it's the classic in my world of uh, when I speak to people and go, oh, well, we know everyone. I was like, you definitely don't. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a big, it's a small market, but it's still, there's still a lot of people out there. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, like, I can name the companies and I maybe know one person at every company, but they're definitely not necessarily the right person. Yeah. And it's knowing where that innovation is going to come from. Like, I'm always, I'm always, um, reminded of this um uh, one of my, my, my former partner used to used to work in pr and and they they used to have these all hands meetings on putting on these big pr events and and it was always about who had the best idea um and they they launched a new car and the big the big the big sort of selling point was oh it can it can pull a jumbo jet um and they're all sort, sort of talking about oh we're doing a driving event to sell the car and then and then uh, the person who worked on reception piped up and went why don't we get it to pull a jumbo jet? And everyone was like, brilliant. And it became one of the most successful marketing campaigns like ever. And it, and it just yeah. came from someone who had some reception. So you never know where that idea is going to come from as well. So getting more eyes, particularly educated eyes from something like the, the, the lab um, on the business and feedback is, is, um, is so important. But I was going to ask you as a founder, how do you balance that feedback and stay true to the sort of premise of what we're trying to do and, and, not yeah. continually shake the idea and then it becomes a kind of Frankenstein's monster of not what you'd intended. Yeah, it's a very good question. Like we've definitely, I think you've probably discussed it many times on this podcast, like the application of parametric is huge, it's broad. Like, mm. yeah, it's not just about weather. Um, you know, and we had to do a lot of internal, I had a lot of internal discussions, you know, which is about a year ago around like, you know, focus and how do we deliver like what we're simply going to do rather than just go and chase every uh, potential application for parametric insurance until the one thing. Mm. Sort of thing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we, we, you know, and it's always going back to that why did I say I just got this business, take care of people after, you know, natural disasters. Obviously. So, um, you know, the, the uh, yeah, and so, so yeah, it, it does. <laughs> It, do, it does, um, it, it is a challenge, um, but also there's an element of what, what we're very much about is enabling the market. Like one of the huge value propositions for us for being in the lab is to make sure the market are aware of us, so what we can do, uh, but enable it. Like there were an increasing number of 
businesses, organizations, governments looking for solutions to climate risk, you know, most of those will end up in London with a big broker at some point. And we want to enable you know, willing capacity from the market to access those. And mm. some of the things that we can do uh, you know, enable novel solutions, for example. So, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, we want to catalyze the market because this is a problem that's global and, and you know, we don't, and if, if climate change keeps accelerating the rate it is, we're, we're you, know, you know, we need to solve it fast. We need to put these mechanisms in place to look after Yeah. Um, what do you, well, I'm interested about conversations actually with capacity providers. Um, yeah. You know, what's been the, I don't know, broadly what that's been like, how receptive are they to sort of parametric solutions? Is there a, are they being drawn to, I suppose, what, what's coming up in the conversation, more the kind of area you're playing, the climate risk area, or, or more the, the sort of novel idea of parametrics as a solution? Is there any sort of themes of feedback you get, either positive or negative? I think there's still, I guess when I was thinking about the execution of this, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I had two options. You sort of go to the big reinsurers of Munich and Swiss who are already doing parametric and have a lot of expertise in it, but are generally reinsurers, so um, you know, uh, or or you go to Lloyd's, who have direct licenses in a lot of places where you can help people. But then you know, you, you at the time they weren't doing a lot of parametric. That mm-hmm. I think has changed, mm-hmm. um, and I think there's a recognition from Lloyd's as a whole that parametric brings the capital efficiencies that the market needs, and can be used for those specialty risks that you know aren't covered by traditional insurance for example so i think there's a uh it's different company to company as to how developed they are in their, in their thinking about this but i think um if we're in a situation now particularly with what's just happened in florida and the state that insurance market was in before where parametric solutions are going to become more mainstream even in developed markets like like that because you know, it will be driven by ultimate sources of capital as well as in the land. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's my belief uh, on parametric insurance is in whatever line of business is when it's done well, there's absolute certainty for both customer and insurer as to when you're paying and so and how much you're paying. And so that unlocks, you know, uh, you know, pitching things that ultimately need to cheaper pricing, like, um, and so, you know, the, the, and because of that certainty, you don't have what's happened in Florida with the sort of, you know, 70% of claims over the last decade before Ian have, you know, gone to public adjusters and third parties rather than the claimant, which is, you know, up pushing up prices in, the, in those markets and also seeing a reduction in capital available. So, Whereas that's not the case with parametric solutions with more capital flowing into that space. Mm. And I think that's why we're going to see a turning point now. So there's definitely interest um, on both sides of the market into finding solutions. Because mm. uh, parametrics is so attractive to external capital that's that's new to the market as well. Yeah. Because it's a simpler thing to understand. I mean, 
explaining to someone the value chain <laughs> of a claim, you know, in the traditional model and loss justice and legal fees and, and the cost yeah, base. Yeah. I think externally it's quite hard to justify. Now we know we understand why it happens and why it exists when we're in the market, but I think you look externally, so it's it's much more attractive to you know A happens, B happens, and, and we pay out or we don't. Um yeah, it's um it's it's but fascinating what it's gonna do to it's gonna fascinate what it's gonna do to capital that already exists in the market and whether it drifts away from you know traditional coverage. Yeah, well exactly that. I think that's you know the I didn't really appreciate this until six months ago when I was talking to, to an ILS fund around the fact that you know, ILS instruments carry a lower coupon rate if they're reinsuring you know, parametric portfolios because of, you know your loss so much quicker so your capital's not tied up. Mm. And so you know, it, it really does benefit it all the way through. And so you know, we've got to get better at it, like reduce basis risk, you know, Come up with more innovative products um, than we maybe have, and, but you know uh, that will come as, as we all get better at this, mm. and more data appears as well. Yes, well, that's. I mean, I, I, every time I'm having these conversations about parameters, I'm just struck by, you know, if we look at really emergent risks that are completely new to the market, um, all of them tend to come from areas where. With they're very data rich industries or, or, or data reliant industries. And, and then that just gives you so much opportunity to kind of offer a parametric solution, you know, straight off the bat. Whereas, you know, some of the parametric solutions we're looking at are coverages that are being offered it as an evolution of something that already exists. And, and, and basically what we're doing is we're, we're just serving a sort of, sort of almost a customer need for kind of a, a, a sort of greater speed. Um, yeah. Whereas we're kind of we're we're all existing in a world where the data is so rich that you, you would think as long as you can find an appropriate trigger, there's a sort of parametric solution that could be found for it. Um, I wanted to ask you specifically though, what you think as an industry, what responsibility insurance has to sort of help people build greater climate resilience, because that's that sort of public good element of what we do. Um, you know, is it responsibility? Is it just an opportunity? you know what should we be doing more proactively yeah so, so i guess the way we think about it like it goes back to that pyramid like that's a little too earlier but like you know it's yes the insurance industry has responsibility to enable it but also every member of society every business like now has a well it's always had but increasingly to be focusing on a, a their responsibility to to create resilience because resilience is or lack of resilience is systemic. You know, the, you know if, if you look at people living in informal settlements, for example, mm. um, in, in Africa, but if they're exposed to, uh, they're never going to be able to, we're never going to be able to deliver a home insurance policy for them that is cheap enough that they'll, they'll spend the money. But we can design mechanisms that take care of them, you know, when, when these things happen. So, um, you know, it's 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 when you know a large area of, of the settlement is burns down through a fast spreading fire or is flooded because they've built on the riverbeds, and then it's actually not about putting the house back because the local government or whatever will want to go in and formalise that so they provide services, you know, improve that area. That will take time, but in the meantime, those people have to have to live somewhere, to look after the family, have to, you know, so. Parametric insurance is the perfect mechanism for that because you know 
the policy doesn't say you have you know it pays out whatever it pays out but it doesn't say you have to put your house back it, it doesn't carry that that onus um but when we you know the, the solutions we're trying to uh trying to create for resilience go back to people need it after these often need shelter possibly medicine food and water um and probably some some the money to rebuild and so there's an element of uh taking costs away from people can also be you know similarly as effective as as uh giving them money so like the product we're trying to build in the lab at the moment spends around financial institutions who um likely lend on property and and actually the people who are within their portfolio who are most at risk are those who are higher loan to value mortgages because they've got less equity you know they're, they're probably less well off and those are the most at risk for the bank as well can we sort of create mechanisms where you know a certain event has happened and those borrowers aren't required to make repayments for a period and that's removing that cost from them when you know their home insurance may or may not have immediately paid them to uh go and live alternatively you know in some alternative place or you know they their car was flooded and they can't get to work or they just takes that financial stress off that actually in three months time or however long it it is they're now they've had enough time to get back on their feet and uh servicing that loan but also any surplus in that they've probably spent on putting their house back in a place where they can live with it you know whether it's recovering their excess for their insurance or if they're uninsured, you know, making repairs they could, but you are supporting that individual, which also speaks to and prevent like knock-on effects on a social, you know, aspect in the in those areas as well, whether it's you know, kind of moving towards like a dependence on alcohol or, or whatever that could because of the stress. So it's so it's all rolled up into one. Mm. That's really interesting. What what a great yeah, what a great idea for a product. And I, I think it's, it, it, it's a conflation sometimes about focusing on it being a social good and, and, and it not being a profitable good thing to do. But, you know, and, and it's really nice to focus on those kind of macro results for um, populations. But then also it, it's a it's a yeah, it's a it's a need it's, it's a gap that we can fill with insurance and that we can make we can make money from as well. And it's um, you know, yeah, doing yeah. the two things is the challenge. Um, I'm conscious of time, so I wanted to sort of uh, bring 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 it up to the last question. I always like to start with this, and we probably kind of entered into it there. Obviously, this is what you're doing in the lab, but um, presumably that's a little bit more down the line. Um, what's kind of immediately next for um, you guys at Yukahu? Um, you're going to take the sort of same products into some new territories? Is there going to be some new products that are more immediately launching? Yeah, so so well, the lab products. Uh, we've been progressing two and a half weeks already, so I would hope to have that ready for launch. Um, you know, uh, come December, we sort of reached out to the first few institutions for pilots, so um, and have figured out how how it will all work. Um, but on top of that, yeah, we're sort of looking at other projects. In I mentioned the informal settlements in Africa. The reason I'm not aware of that is we we've put together a proposal for for that sort of thing. Um, yeah, we've sort of got a global remit. Um, or global capability and so for us it's about uh you know deliver understanding risks faced by businesses and, and their, their communities and and building their like projects so you know, part of the 
from our experiences to, is to you know, get out and build that. Um, we're having discussions to build out new distribution methods in the Caribbean. Like, can we can we uh, you know give micro policies away for free and, and collect the premiums in another way? Um, so yeah, it's a really exciting time for the business. We're trying to do you know. Um, trying to deliver the product now to groups of people that really need it um, at a time when, you know, uh, what's what's happening is it's going to fall front of people's minds as well. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's the world's our oyster at this point. It's, it's kind of just enabling other participants in the market to, to co-develop these solutions with us. Yeah. Um, and just finally, though, where are you in your funding journey? Um, is it, are you, is it seed round or are you, are you, Going into series there? Yeah. <laughs> so we've largely bootstrapped today. Sort of we've had a friends and family round and, and a few other um, people from the industry have actually invested. So we've had about 400,000 pounds in total. Um, we're looking to open up around, um, you know, towards the end of the Loisile process, probably Q1 next year. Um, so yeah, it's, it's you know, as those products are developed and are coming on stream, we will need a bigger team to, to keep, um, uh, keep developing, keep growing. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a really exciting time to be part of the business, and <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to you know having those conversations or warming those conversations up in the next few months as well. I'll, I'll remind you, you said you're excited about having those fundraising conversations. We must. <laughs> if I see you looking frazzled, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you see me crying into my pint in in a bar around Lloyd's at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're, <laughs> we're just around the corner. We can always be there for a uh, celebratory or commemoratory beer. So. Um, <laughs> Tim, thank you so much. I appreciate how time scarce it is when you're in the lab and, and also trying to run the business outside of that as well. So it's really kind of you to spend the time with me today. Um, super interesting business. I love everything that goes on in parametrics particularly, but I think with your kind of mission and 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 that kind of, we love the Genesis story always as well, but, um, you know, the insurance and social good doesn't get sort of enough kind of practical airtime and it's like a practical solution to some of those challenges. So thank you so much uh, being a guest on the Leadership and Insurance podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.